the name is that first interface, but then after that, it's all more about brand experience. I think that's really the most important thing. Hello, and welcome to Brand Tuned, the only podcast on branding that covers IP, which is intrinsic to business and brands. I'm Shireen Smith, lawyer, brand strategist, and curious business owner, keen to discover the secrets of effective brand building to create a successful business. Chandresh Pala is the founder of Cohesia Group, a venture studio which specializes in creating innovative, scalable ventures based on digital technologies. As Chandresh creates portfolios of company brands, in this episode, I wanted to quiz him about business. The focus of the episode is on the you element of my tuned framework for creating a brand. You stands for understand the market. This is a large subject, obviously, because to have the right business strategy, you need to do research, decide how to position your product relative to competitors, to get really clear on your vision and target customers, all before you launch or adjust a business. So obviously, we couldn't discuss all that. But I started by discussing Chandresh's own business journey and how he created his own brand. He explained what a brand means, that it's more than just a logo. Also, that people sometimes choose brands because of what it says about them to be using those brands. And it was insightful hearing his thoughts. We then focus the discussion on business models, what the term means, how people benefit from an understanding of the different components of a business model. Chandresh made some interesting comments about the importance of distinguishing between exploration and learning. So, for example, when you're validating your assumptions, start by validating the problem quite separately from your proposed solution. One of the mistakes that Chandresh observes people making is to build products first. So he had some suggestions about how to approach it in a better way. There's a lot of value here to help any prospective product creator think through their ideas. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Chandresh, welcome to the Brand Tune podcast. Tell us a bit more about your business. Hi, Shireen. It's a pleasure to be here. And thank you for inviting me. Um, so I am uh, probably the best way to describe myself is a social entrepreneur, uh, transformation mentor and impact investor. Mm-hmm. Um, I currently am a, the founder of Cohesia Venture Studio. Um, we are a venture studio which basically creates new startups. Um, we also help them grow. So we also help them to scale as well. So currently we have a portfolio of ventures uh, in the fintech, event tech, augmented reality, virtual reality, 
and venture capital areas, amongst other things. Okay, that's interesting. When did you set this up? So it's been a journey, <laughs> like most entrepreneurs, you know, it's like a, a roller coaster of a ride. Um, so my background was I started many, many years ago um, with a consultancy, working as a consultant in an IT consultancy, really working on sort of large scale systems and consulting projects, um, doing sort of very large scale uh, client projects. I mean, everything from working on oil refinery management systems to building trading systems. Um, so that was quite quite an experience. I think it's always a good thing to go through something like that and work on a broad cross-section of clients and, you know, challenges. Um, and also, you know, learning about different methodologies and strategies. Um, I then decided to really set up my own business um, because I thought it was the right time. And I also saw an opportunity. Um, things were really starting to take off in terms of the digital space. And, you know, there was an opportunity there to kind of combine the consulting, um, digital creative and technology. Um, so that's how I really started by setting up a, a, a new breed, I guess, of, of company. Um, that's where Cohesia originally started. And since then, you know, just to kind of cut a long story short, um, I've had a number of businesses uh, along the way, um, some of them technical, some of them non-technical. Uh, I've also had some creative businesses. I was the founder of a creative agency, a hybrid creative agency, combining art and architecture and other things. Um, and I've also helped a number of clients really scale and exit their businesses as well. So I've kind of been through um, quite a number of the kind of business life cycles. Um, so, so yeah, quite, quite an interesting journey so far. Okay, so have you had several businesses in one go or were they sort of one after another? Um, I have, um, which I, I wouldn't necessarily <laughs> recommend. Um, I have had uh, businesses in parallel. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, one of the reasons for creating the Venture Studio and the Venture Builder was because I realized that what I enjoy doing um, was creating businesses. So the best way to do that was to actually create a business that is in the business of you know, creating new ventures. Um, and the way that that's feasible is by creating each of those businesses as a separate entity and as a separate brand. Um, so they all have their own independent brands and their separate entities and, and creating their own uh, management teams. I think that's really the only way that it can be done. Um, it's, you know, unless you're Elon Musk or, you know, somebody like that, it's, it's quite a challenge to be running lots of companies in parallel right so are they kind of like joint ventures where you help a business somebody who's got a good idea uh there's been a mixture of different models um some of them i founded myself or i've co-founded mm -hmm. um there's a couple of others where i or, and my team have an equity stake where we have come in as a strategic partner um, there are others where I, again, am a strategic advisor. So, so there's a bit of a spectrum. I think um, some of them, I'm, I'm the, actually the original founder. Um, 
And again, that's been quite an interesting journey, you know, learning about the different advantages and disadvantages of doing all of those. So how did you come up with the name? Is it Cohesia? It is, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, Cohesia is all about cohesion because um, one of the things I kind of call myself is the fusion entrepreneur um, because I'm always looking for ways to combine things and, you know, the interrelationship between all kinds of things which look as though they're separate. Um, so cohesion was the idea of bringing something together and cohesion um, to create something of greater value by bringing lots of different components together. Um, and did you come up with that name straight away or has it taken you a while to choose it? So names are really difficult to choose. <laughs> um, and actually finding uh, .com or not necessarily finding, you know, a, a good domain that reflects your name is, is quite a challenge, especially nowadays. Um, it is difficult choosing names, um, you know, but I think it's worth spending some time on it. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say that you should, you know, be too worried about getting it exactly right because, you know, one of the things that uh, I really talk about uh, when we're considering brands is, is that the name is that first interface, but then after that, it's all more about brand experience. I think that's really the most important thing. So the name gets you in front of somebody and gets the attention, but after that, it's really the brand experience. So did you have help coming up with that name or did you choose it yourself? I came up with it myself, actually. <laughs> I did uh, run it past a number of people. Um, I think that's a good thing to do because I think, you know, our perceptions are all framed in the context of our experience. So what means, you know, one thing to me might mean something completely different to somebody else in a different context. Um, and I think a lot of brands have had a problem with that because, you know, they create a brand based on their background, but in a different industry, you know, that same word or in a different country, you know, that may mean something completely different. So it, it is you know, quite a tricky thing to do um, uh, and definitely worth, you know, checking with different people from different backgrounds, even different nationalities to see you know, whether it aligns and, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. So what help did you get to work out your brand? And, you know, can you tell me a bit more about, you know, what do you think a brand is and how did you create your own brand? Well, I was quite fortunate because I was at the time, um, I was also uh, working with uh, a brand guru, um, a chap called Ravi Adapurakal, um, who was a, a great, branding specialist and was running um, an agency and had tremendous experience you know building really big brands mm. um, and also one of the original members of the team that I took on board had a lot of experience his name is Siddharth Deshmukh um, his background was branding and marketing so so I was quite fortunate um, in that the kind of discussions we were having about brand were really deep and really thinking about brands, not just from a creative perspective, but really about what a brand really means. And, you know, what's the sort of underlying definition of a brand and things like that. So, 
So those are really interesting discussions and, you know, it's a fascinating topic. So you had pretty good experience, obviously, with that. What were you hoping to achieve with your brand then? I mean, can you explain something about your brand? What is it? I think a brand is about really a a promise and it's about creating um, a perception and, and it's about a residue that's left in a person's mind. Um, now that is more than just the name. It's it's really the sum of all the association and interactions uh, that a person has, um, not just with the name or the website, but you know everything, the, mm. the service that they receive, the product, you know, all of those. So what we were trying to really do and you know, I hope, you know, we've got gone some way towards achieving um, is really to achieve uh, a perception about the company, which is more than just the name, but it's actually a perception, a positive perception um, and a value perception. So it's really trying to help people understand that, you know, a brand is more than just a nice logo. It's really your interaction and your team's interaction with the client. It's how the customer uses the products, you know, what they feel about it. And it's the sum of all those interactions and, and what we wanted to do, and hopefully we're, we're succeeding is to really build a perception that, you know, we uh, really care about your business. We want to create value for your business, you know, and, build real service driven culture Um, and and very often people kind of focus on you know building that within clients but actually it's probably equally if not more important to drill that into the team Mm. you know because if you have that perception and that sort of culture built into the team then that was actually going to drive the experience that the customer receives as well yeah absolutely so what about intellectual property? Did you protect your name and logo? Um, we've not done <laughs> really <laughs> uh, done that to uh, a great extent. Um, obviously, we've done um, some basic things. Um, you know, technically, obviously, there, there's some work involved, and maybe that's something we can talk about um, potentially doing further downstream. But no, I mean we. We, we got going, we made sure that obviously there weren't any issues in terms of trademarks. So we just made sure everything was okay and nobody else was using it. So there weren't any uh, issues in that sense. Um, and we did some, some basic things in terms of making sure that you know, we'd recorded it properly. That's surprising that you haven't locked down your rights to it. But this is often something I, I notice in business because it's the very foundation of the brand. It's a bit like the land on which you are building properties. And if you don't own it and somebody else registers it, it is so expensive to try and argue that you came first. So it just... Absolutely, yeah. To me, it's just one of the costs of business is to register your name because that's how the brand is known. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, um, when I'm mentoring people and when we're starting other companies, uh, that's what we do. (laughs) Um, I think, as I said, it's been a journey, you know, and I've made a lot of mistakes on the way. And that's probably one of them. 
Okay. So you help somebody uh, with an idea to work out what would be a good business model. Is that one of the things you do? Yeah, it's, it's a mixture of things. I mean, um, we either create our own ventures. So we have a number of ventures which we uh, founded or co-founded um, where we see that there's a problem and there's an opportunity. Um, we will then, you know, create a really test that out, see, you know, on a simple, small scale, whether that's a viable business, um, whether, you know, it's going to work, whether it's a problem worth solving. Um, and then if it is, then, you know, we would separate that out as a, as an independent business. Um, so the way we work is, you know, each of those ventures is spun off as a separate entity, as a separate business. So that's why we ending up with a portfolio of businesses. So that's our sort of business model is not to retain all of them under the same brand. And each of those ventures has their own brand as well, which gives a lot of flexibility because then those brands are very focused on the value proposition that they are working on. Um, they have their own management teams and, and you know, resources as well, but they also share some infrastructure and they sh you know, share some common resources as well. So they get the benefits of, of both worlds. So you're a bit like a Procter and Gamble, except that they create product brands, but you're creating kind of separate businesses. Company brands. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but all within a, a certain space that you understand. Is that right? Yes. Almost all of them have been in some form tech enabled businesses. I won't say technology businesses because mm -hmm. that means something different, but technology enabled businesses where there's some element of technology involved. And, and now, to be honest, I mean, it, almost every single business has an element of technology that's involved. So, so that's quite a broad spectrum. But yeah, definitely, they tend to fall into businesses that have the ability to leverage exponential technologies. So do you get people coming to you and pitching to you to invest in them or...? All the time, <laughs> all the time. Um, so one of the companies I'm a co-founder of um, is a company called Epic Exponential Positive Impact Capital, um, which is a platform for connecting um, impact-driven ventures with impact investors. And it's slightly different from the normal um, investment platform in that it uses a new form of investment called revenue-based finance, um, which where we don't take equity, so it's non-dilutive. Um, so it's a slight, it's a different new form um, of providing investment, and and also we're focused very much on impact investment. So we're only investing in organisations that are creating positive impact. Um, so that's quite an interesting new venture that I'm involved with. Hmm. So when you created this agency, you said you also are involved in a creative agency. How did you, how would you look at the business model for that? They are different um, and there are different business models, which um, we can touch on um, in a few minutes. But each 
uh, company. There are standard structures for business models. So there are almost sort of standard templates and formats for business models. Um, for, at that time, which was uh, some years ago, we had a standard agency model. Um, so we were providing uh, our service as a service, you know, uh, and paid service. Um, we were building a community as well um, and really helping people to collaborate, helping artists and designers. So we were very community focused as well, um, and bringing together artists, designers, creatives, digital uh, technologists, um, people in that space, you know, producers, film producers, all kinds of people. Not just traditional people, but we were also bringing together people like architects, lighting designers. So, so that whole idea of fusion and bringing people together um, is what we were doing. And then, you know, bringing those people together to meet specific client requirements. Um, so we were bringing together specialists um, in a kind of a studio model where we'd bring together various specialists to solve a particular problem. So that was really interesting times. I mean, one of the things we worked on was uh, on the James Bond movie. So we had a uh, one of our artists was working on an installation which ended up on one of the James Bond movies. So that was, that was interesting. Yeah, interesting. So it's very necessary nowadays to create a community for almost any business, do you think? And how do you go about doing that? Absolutely. I'm always advising um, people I'm mentoring and, you know, my companies to really build engagement. I think, you know, the future is about brands which are, you know, people will choose brands that are aligned with their values, their identity and their purpose. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about brands, um, actually brands are things that people choose to really connect with their form of identity. So whatever a person feels is their identity, um, if you look at the brands that they're choosing, there's actually a very good correlation. They're choosing those brands because they're reinforcing that person's identity. Increasingly, what I've also seen is that people are choosing brands because they align with that person's values. And that's becoming a lot more widespread now as well. Um, people are really choosing brands because of their values uh, and the purpose. So definitely, you know, connecting a brand with a community uh, is absolutely critical. Letting your customers be the most effective promoters is the best form of marketing, you know, <laughs> rather than going out doing it, you know, actually letting your customers be the promoters um, is one of the most effective ways of building a company. So could you talk me through how you decide on a business model? for a business. Do you have a case study maybe that you could? Uh, let, let me maybe talk about um, what a business model is. So yeah, um, yeah that sounds I good. think there's different people have different definitions. Um, and maybe different people have different experiences. Um, so in simple terms, it's how an organization creates, delivers and captures value. Um, so putting that even, even simpler terms, um, it's basically how are you going to create products and sell them to make money? So it's, it's a very, very simple concept, um, which strangely enough, still people don't really <laughs> seem to understand. You know, they think, oh, well, there's a product and that's it. Um, but actually it's about how are you going to create it? How are you going to deliver it? And how are you going to, you know, create value, you know, and, and make money from it? 
and and there's a lot of misunderstanding in terms of people really not understanding the different components of a business model. And there are various tools out there um, that people can use. Um, there's something called a business model canvas. Mm. Um, a book, which, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah, so um, so that's one one tool. Um, but really, it's it's really about understanding what is the value proposition. So, in simple terms, you know, people pay for you to solve a problem, or you know, to create value. Um, and the, the more people understand, you know, the concept of value, because people pay for value, you know, that's how you create value. Um, and also, there's another concept that people get confused with, and that's leverage. Value is creating something that people want and are willing to pay for. And then scaling that is, is what we mean by leverage. Very often, people mix those two up, and they start leveraging because marketing is leverage. But if you haven't shown value, then doing all the marketing in the world isn't going to help you because you haven't proven value. So that's a common misconception, you know, prove value first in the simplest way, prove that, you know, you can create a scalable, repeatable business model um, that where people are willing to pay for, you know, the value that you're creating, then show that it's repeatable you know, make sure that it's something that isn't just, you know, your friends and family are buying because, you know, they like you and, you know, your mother says it's the best idea that she ever heard because obviously she's your mother. And then, you know, moving on to, to leveraging. The different components of a, of a business model are the value proposition, understanding the customer segments, so understanding which customers and which segments they are. Mm-hmm. Thirdly, it's the revenue stream. So where is your revenue going to come from? Being really clear and, and you know, how that connects with your value proposition in your customer segments. And then your cost base. So what are the you know, core elements of your cost base to deliver that value? Um, and then the route to market, how are you going to deliver you know, the, the products and the services? So what is the route to market or the channels? Um, those are really just the core of a business model. And if you understand even just those five points, then that's a huge step forwards, you know, and that's more than many people seem to do um, when they start. Yeah, it's a vast field to, to just understand the customer segments and then also, you know, how should you charge for something? Should you can you be a subscription model or, you know, presumably that all these considerations go into deciding what the business model should be? They do. Um, and as you quite rightly say, I mean, there are different models. So subscription is one, outright purchase is another, you know, there's freemium, you know, so you give something away for free and then you, you know, people can pay for the premium aspect of it. Um, even free, you know, giving something away for free is a business model. I mean, Google, you know, has made multi-trillion dollar company, you know, from giving free search. But the reality is that they, you know, are in a different, you know, they're making money from somewhere else. You know, they're making it from, you know, the advertising and the data. Um, there are things called multi-sided markets. So these are platform-based business models where you've got buyers and sellers. So something like Amazon 
you've got you know buyers and sellers. So there are a set of standard models and structures. Um, so if people look at the sort of business model books and business model generation, where the business model canvas comes from, um, some of those are explained in there. But you know they all have their characteristics. So understanding what business model you have is is really important. Well, often nowadays people just have a set of skills because you know they want to set up on their own. They might have to set up on their own because big corporations are not hiring so many people. So they've got a set of skills which they then need to use in a business. Do you think there is going to be a difference for them as to how they implement their ideas? I mean, where should they go to for help? Just to work out whether their idea is viable, whether people are going to buy from them, you know, just whether there's value, for example, in what they're going to sell. Of course, yeah. Really, that whole first stage of a business is is exploration and learning um, that's really the whole mindset that anyone that is starting a business or starting a new product needs to be in it's it's all about creating a you know a value proposition uh, defining that but then going out and validating it you know it's going out and exploring you know understanding what those assumptions are defining them and then really going out and trying to validate those assumptions uh, and the best way of doing that is, is is by, you know, going out and talking to potential customers. Um, what I like to do, personally, uh, what I tell people to do at a very early stage is to do it in two stages. One is to validate the problem independent of the solution um, and then go and validate the, the solution. Uh, so let me just explain that. Uh, very often people go to potential clients and go, well, here's a solution, you know, do you like it? You know, and that I think should be the second stage. The first stage should be confirming the problem, even not even talking about a solution, going and saying, well, do you have this problem? Is it a problem that, you know, is worth solving? You know, is this a problem that you would pay money to solve? You know, because it has to be something that is worth solving that they really see as an urgent problem and has value for them to solve first mm. um, and at that stage you're not selling anything you know and it's quite refreshing when you talk to clients like that you get some incredible feedback you know you're just there to listen and learn um, and then as a second stage you know you can go and show them something uh, and again you know one of the mistakes I'm sure you've seen as well is that people start building <laughs> um, products and then they go and take them Customers don't buy products, you know, they are buying a solution. So really showing how you're going to solve that solution can be done in really simple ways. And sometimes it's just a mock-up, you know, to show this is how we're going to do it and getting customer feedback, potential customer feedback. Um, it could just be by, you know, doing a PowerPoint, you know, doing some simple mock-ups, you know, anything which is the simplest, fastest, cheapest way of validating the value proposition is, is what I'd recommend. So you'd create something and then go and speak to potential customers who might buy it, but just see if you can create enough interest. In Absolutely. Yeah. Um, because 
once they've confirmed that they agree that you know that problem is worth solving and it's you know they would be willing to pay for it then it's about showing them a solution and whether they agree that whether that solution is going to solve that problem um, and rather than create you know that whole application or whatever you know product um, showing them you know that product uh, and what we call an MVP, you know, the minimal viable product, um, which is the small, you know, fastest, cheapest, simplest thing that you can do to validate your assumptions. Um, and that might just be, you know, a click through PowerPoint presentation. It might be some mockups. It might be, you know, what we've done sometimes is to create almost mockup applications on the mobile phone, you know, using simple HTML. You know, some people get very creative. You can use 3D printing to mock up physical products, all kinds of things, you know. So really creating something which allows you to validate your assumptions as early as possible will save people a lot of money. But it's still quite difficult, even if you know that there's a problem and that some people are willing to pay for it. It's still quite challenging to actually find out how to position it, how to sell it, what to create. It, it is. And being clear on the sort of the, the business model um, and your customer segments um, is really important. So as part of your customer segmentation, I mean, and your strategy, one of the key things you need to understand is who are your primary customers. And a lot of people say, well, yeah, you know, we target everyone and it's, you know, anyone can buy this, which, you know, in the long run might be true, but actually there will be one or two core customer segments, which will account for 80% of the revenue. Um, so let me give you a, a way of thinking, which might help people. Mm -hmm. um, so, and it's a, it's a great illustration um, that I saw. Uh, if you think about a, if you want to create a hundred million annual revenue business, then there's different ways of achieving that. You know, there's not one route to, to do that. So if your goal is to create a hundred million pound revenue business, um, you need to decide which kinds of animals, and this is kind of the analogies in terms of animals, uh, you need to decide which kinds of animals you are going to be hunting. So you can be hunting lots of very small animals like flies or mice or rabbits, or slightly larger ones, medium ones like deer, um, or maybe even larger ones like elephants, or the really big ones like whales. So if you have an average customer revenue of, say, £100 per year, so that's at the kind of mice level, um, you need 100 million paying customers, basically. Oh, sorry, you need 1 million customers, paying customers. Um, to make that 100 million. And to get that 1 million paying customers, you might need 10 to 20 million customers to try out your product. Um, if you are targeting the larger accounts, say the kind of corporate level accounts, which are kind of the elephants, uh, where the account value is 100,000 per year, mm -hmm. then you only need 1,000 enterprise customers. So the strategy on how you reach them and how you sell to them and what kind of organization you need is completely different, you know, to, to build, you know, 
10 million paying customers or 1 million paying customers and to build that kind of traction, it's a completely different marketing strategy to getting a thousand enterprise customers and managing, you know, hundred thousand pound accounts. So it goes to knowing what, where you want to go. <laughs> yeah. And, and who you're trying to target, you know, it's, it's really understanding who you're trying to target. And actually a lot of it's then logical because, you know, if you are targeting, you know, hundred thousand pound customers, um, you need, you know, a good sales team. They're not going to buy that, you know, off a website, you know, you need to have certain things in place. You need to, to do things differently. Um, whereas if you're going for mass market, you know, then you probably want to be looking at influencers and online engagement and promotions and things like that. So very, very different strategies, both in terms of brand building and marketing. Yeah, I find actually businesses are often overwhelmed in knowing what to do when they read up about it. And they therefore think, okay, they need a logo, a website, and they turn to branding, hoping that they can get everything they need sorted. And actually what they need is to sort out their business first before turning to branding. Do you think so? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, um, I'd agree. I mean, people think it's just about throwing money at marketing, but it's not, you know, it's, it's really understanding your value proposition, being really clear. Um, and also, one of the key things is differentiation, you know, what is the uniqueness? You know, why are you different from competition? How can you create, you know, ideally, you want a 10 times better solution? Um, how can you create that massive differentiation from your competition? Um, and, and also, how can you create the barriers to entry? You know, so I think there's a whole set of thinking that um, people yeah. should be doing to do that. Well, that's where IP comes in, really, because it's about how you manage competition. So much copying happens the minute somebody's successful, other businesses are going to pile in and start copying. And so there's some things you can't protect and some that you can. And so understanding, for example, how much to reveal about your ideas, what to keep to yourself, all that needs a strategy as well, you know, before you turn to branding, I think. Absolutely. Um, I mean, that is a uh, one of those differentiators. If you have a product or some creative or something, you know, even a methodology, uh, which is unique to yourself. So in service-oriented businesses, uh, they're notoriously difficult to, mm. um, to have IP. But, you know, yeah. what I have seen people do is create a, even a service-based methodology, which is unique to, to that company and brand that. Yeah. Um, so we, you know, we created something for ourselves and I know a lot of other consultancies and creative agencies do similar things where they will have their unique methodology um, and way of doing things. And that has, you know, that's branded and, you know, can be protected. Mm. Um, so, yeah, very important, you know, to have a unique way of uh, delivering value. Um, and that helps you stand out from the crowd. And, uh, 
great way of, you know, being able to have that barrier to entry and create what I call the X factor, you know, to differentiate yourself from other things. Very interesting. So is there a brand that you particularly admire, Chandresh, before we finish? Uh, it's a tricky question because um, there are different brands that I admire for different reasons. Um, I think, you know, there, there are some brands which uh, have great products. There are some which are great creatively. Um, there are some that have achieved amazing things. So maybe I'll, I'll mention a couple of examples and tell you what I like about them. Um, Microsoft is actually a really interesting one because mm -hmm. Microsoft um, is a big company and big companies to change their brand is a bit like an oil tanker trying to change direction. <laughs> um, and they had a, a specific type of perception, you know, client perception. Um, and over the years, and especially with uh, the new leadership, um, I think they're actually starting to turn that around. Um, so I, um, I'm really watching them with a lot of interest because some of the new things that they are coming up with are very creative. Um, the way that they're working uh, is really interesting. You know, some of the investments they're making um, and even just the way people are talking about them um, mm. is, is changing and the perception of them, um, you know, with their new products and services. So, I think that's an incredible challenge if you're a big corporate to change, you know, people's perception of you is, is much, much harder than a small startup because, yeah. you know, that's a lot easier. Mm. Um, the other one, I guess, is an obvious one is probably more uh, personal brand and he's got various company brands is Elon Musk. Yeah. Um, and obviously his various brands and, and, you know, maybe I should talk about the brand triangle. Uh, I don't know if you've, the brand what? Brand Triangle. Triangle, um, no. Um, so I don't know if you've covered this in previous podcasts, but the way I approach it is that I tell people that there are three types of brand definitions that they can work on. Um, one is a company brand. Oh, yes, yeah. Uh, the mm -hmm. other is a personal brand. And the third is a product brand. And understanding the differences and what they're for is, is really important. So, so for example, you know, Elon Musk is a, is a personal brand. Um, Tesla is a company brand and the Roadster might be a, a product brand. Um, so that's really interesting. A few other brands, I guess, um, I think Peloton has actually done incredibly well recently. Um, so they, to create a premium brand is very difficult. Um, and they seem to have managed to, to do that and are doing brand expansion. What are they called? Peloton. Peloton. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. They're doing pretty well. Mm. Um, and they've built up incredible traction and perception. You know, they become the go-to brand. I think that's when you recognize when a brand is doing well, it's where a brand occupies a position in somebody's brain, Yeah. That, you know, and takes up a space that, you know, is hard to move, <laughs> you know, it kind of occupies that space. It becomes the premium brand. I mean, Peloton has become the premium brand for, you know, exercise equipment. And yes, it's created its own category, a bit Absolutely. like Cirque du Soleil. You know, exactly. Circus yeah. without 
animals. <laughs> yes. Um, and that, you know, that again comes from, I don't know if you're familiar with, the Blue Ocean Strategy. Yes, yeah, yeah. I've read that. Um, so, so there's a methodology that people can use to look at what other people are doing um, and create, you know, different forms of value, value innovation mm. to differentiate themselves and almost get out of what's called the red ocean where everyone else is fighting it out and create a new category, yeah. um, which is really powerful way of positioning a brand. Great. Thank you very much, Chandresh. It's been really useful, this episode. You're welcome. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. My guest next week is Mark Ritson, who is a high-profile marketer and former marketing professor who has taught the marketing module on MBA programs of leading business schools, including London Business School and MIT. He has been writing a column for Marketing Week for 20 years and has won Business Columnist of the Year three times. If you've enjoyed the podcast, do sign up to the newly created Brandtuned podcast newsletter, where I'll be sharing tips on how to manage brands, answer your questions, give you sneak previews of upcoming episodes, and ask you about topics you want covered. And you might be invited to do an interview if you've got useful content to share which listeners would want to know. Sign up at brandtuned.com newsletter. The link is in the show notes.